bottle of champagne in. I'm ready to talk about my feelings. How about you? <laughs> Feeling loose. Hello friends. Welcome to Crywolf. This week I had on one of my all-time favorite people and we had maybe one or two feelings I would say just a few. There's a lot of <laughs> crying and yelling and it gets a bit rowdy, but I think it's pretty fun. So without further ado, here's Chloe. Hi, Chloe. Hello, Sam. Thank you for having me on. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for being on. I'm honestly really, really, really excited about this. I feel like I've been infatuated by you as a human being on the internet for some time now. Oh my god, my uh, mom warned me about people like you. Holy crap. You know, I know. If you've seen the Netflix special You, it is quietly me on the internet just beefing into your Twitter at all times. But this is really fun because we actually don't know each other that well. No, we have become very recent close Instagram uh, story messaging <laughs> friends and Twitter messaging friends and uh, salty eye emoji friends on the timeline. <laughs> it's true. There's a lot of, for me, just being like, oh, wow, I love this bitch. And I didn't know. I didn't me, know like, that I love Me, like, scrolling past your tweet really casually, hard same. <laughs> that uh, is honestly the highest of honors. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Oh, my God. Um, where do I start? There's a lot of me. I <laughs> Well, you'll probably know me from Girls Gone Canon. That's a podcast I've been running with a great co-host who I'm not cheating on tonight with you. Um, <laughs> Eliana. She is a mod over at Reddit, A Song of Ice and Fire, the subreddit. Uh, and she's also on Maester Monthly, but she's great. We are halves to a whole. We are going through A Song of Ice and Fire, chapter by chapter, but point of view by point of view, which is a little different. A lot of people go through uh, just, you know, book to book, chapter to chapter. They start with one chapter, go to the next. And we are exploring characters kind of more closely, right? We are exploring them only by their chapters. So we're going through a character you might know named Jon Snow. Uh -huh. Sam, I don't know if you know him. A little bit. Oh my god, girl, down. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going through his chapters though right now. We just got to A Storm of Swords, so season three-ish, uh, if you're watching only the show. And we're having a great time. We covered season eight of the show, and I also write a bunch. I have a blog. I write about meta and theories and people and stuff from A Song of Ice and Fire, and it's going good. Uh, that's, that's a big thing about me, I guess. No, that's a huge thing. I know I already told you earlier, but... Legitimately, when I think about finishing the books, the thing I'm most excited about is being able to go through and listen to your podcast. Yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, so excited. excited. I really hope you like it. I think you will. Now I'm like, crap, we have um, how many chapters till she gets to John? How many point of views? We got to step it up. We got to step it up for when she gets here. <laughs> you guys are doing a great job. What was it that initially introduced you to Game of Thrones? Um, A couple coworkers. I was... 
God, it was 2012. I was working at Office Max in Michigan. God, cherish the thought. It was years ago. <laughs> and I was uh, I was working as lower management at Office Max back when it was a real company. And I made really good friends with a girl who also worked there. And she had watched season one of the show. She got me into season two. We watched that together. After season two, I was like, I have to buy these books. There are books. I need to buy them. Uh, so bought the books and I read them and everything that was out season three came out we watched it together we started doing work watch parties and from there it was history I was obsessed with the series it was everything I would like take the books everywhere with me you know got the HBO now right away as soon as it came out had to watch had to watch so so you were obsessed immediately yes absolutely and funnily enough the first time I read them I mean the books are just so dense, you miss stuff the first time, right? And the first time I read it, I didn't like Sansa Stark, which, <laughs> if you know me at all, as Sam does, you'll know I am a very large supporter of Sansa, the first of her name, uh, <laughs> the queen in the north, actually, the bringer of independence, breaker of northern chains i guess i don't know i don't know maybe that's too soon people might get sensitive uh yeah i didn't even like her i i just ignored her i was like okay these are chapters i guess and my favorite character was probably egret i think i think that was my favorite character the first time through that's who i chose but second read through i had a friend that was like no no you're missing a lot of things in this book and he's like read it again and read it this way and he told me a bunch of like little theories and different things that aren't even theories they're like things that came true as you read the books but i was so mind blown i'm like no that's not true there's no way what are you no that character doesn't have this relationship what are you talking about and then i read it and i'm like oh my <laughs> god wow i was missing this whole entire story in a story are we talking about r plus l equals j that is definitely one of them that uh <laughs> Sansa Stark and one of her uh, really good relationships with a character who may or may not be named Sandor Clegane. Not that I care about him at all. Nope. Uh, I would die for him. But so I just like I missed all these things, all these things about characters. I didn't realize like the fake Aegon plot, if you know about that at all, of, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a guy who's claiming that he is Rhaegar's son that is dead from being bashed against the wall. But I didn't I didn't catch that. I didn't understand any of these little you know, hints and nudges. So it took me a couple reads to really even feel comfortable enough with the text to understand some of these bigger, broader theories people have. So how did you get involved in the Game of Thrones community? Let's see, I think 2013, I made a new Tumblr account. <laughs> oh no. I love it already. <laughs> <laughs> I made it's a It's perfectly 2013. It really is. I had one since 2007, old school, thanks. Uh, back mm. when people just like live journaled on it, you know what I mean? Like it's like it was the new <laughs> yeah. live journal. It was like after Zanga was gone. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> I I had a Tumblr then too, but I changed my name, had a new thing, and I started posting a lot about Sansa Stark, uh, a lot about Sandor Clegane, and just writing about them. And I started writing meta bit by bit, and just like little tiny. It, it was small at first. I would write like a paragraph of just emotion. And then it became like full-blown essays. And then from there, I got really involved in the Twitter community and the Reddit community a little bit. I backed off a lot from the Reddit community. I'm just spread really thin. I don't have time. I'll post there once in a while or check there mm-hmm. for new theories or things to read. But it's a, it's a fun place to hang. I just I don't have time to hang out more there. But I hang out mostly on Twitter. That, that's where I ended up. I love the tweets. I have a Twitter and a blog, and I'm good enough with that. 
so you started interacting with people on Twitter and that kind of dragged you into the community? Yeah, one of my really good friends, the Lady Shelley on Twitter, uh, I met her like probably 2014, 2015, and we just became really good friends. And we started a Facebook meme page. Uh, this was, oh my god, uh, we don't use it anymore. It's called the Page of Many Faces. And we would post some dank memes back in our prime <laughs> of our Facebook page. Uh, <laughs> but between that and like writing on Tumblr, it just really made me want to do my own stuff. You know, so that led me actually to start a podcast called Drunk, A Song of Ice and Fire History. We've done a few things, but it's a solo project for the most part. I started with a couple friends who live in Ohio and Columbus, and uh, they kind of slowly kind of came out of it. You know, we all just were too far apart, and I just don't have time to do more. Like I said, it's a lot, so once in a while I'll come back to it. But I've recorded some really fun stuff with a lot of people in the fandom on that. We did a... Uh, a drunk history on Nymeria, Queen Nymeria, you know, of the Roinar, and that was with History of Westeros' Ashea. That was mm. a blast. That was really Also fun. lovely. Yes, she's wonderful. One of my good friends. She's wonderful. So what was the first thing that kind of brought you into the community, like, off of the internet into real life in the flesh? Wow. I guess that has to be, well, two things. Uh, Colossal Con 2014 or 2013 – I dressed up as Sansa Stark, and that is a convention in Ohio in Sandusky. It's at the Kalahari Water Resort. It is a blast. It is a, it's an anime con at a water park, and there are these huge (laughs) drinks that are like $28, and it sounds crazy, but they're a cup that you get to go back to your room with, (laughs) and refills are only $18. This is so important. Get ready. It's so important. They're only $18 for refills, so if you're feeling bourgeois, you can just go like throw your wallet. And you can do that anywhere, like the hot tub swim up bar. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> yes, an anime con at this place. Ridiculous. But you could just go refill it in your room, too, because you have the cup. And it's a resort. So you could just. Uh. Yeah, great convention. Highly recommend it. And there's one on the East Coast that's got. The one in Ohio is like sold out. It's so busy. People get their rooms a bajillion years in advance, and it's so crowded. So I want to try the East Coast one. But I cosplay. Sansa with a huge group of people that did like Sandor and Joffrey and all this stuff and that's 2013-2014 right like now you're Daenerys Targaryen and you're Cersei Lannister run of the mill you're in the halls and you're like oh cool a Queen Cersei or oh my god Khaleesi but (laughs) then it wasn't it was cool it was like a oh shit that's a Game of Thrones group so that was really fun to do and that made me go oh I love this I love Game of Thrones I'm really really into it and then I went to Ice and Fire Con in 2016, and that, oh man, that was an experience. That was like a whole like mind-blowing, like, these are my people. This is where I belong? Question mark? Oh my god. Yeah, absolutely. I love that so much. Yeah, it, 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 I just remember like walking down a hallway and hearing someone argue about whether or not Aegon was a black fire, and I was like... Oh my god, nerds. You're like, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Fast forward like four years later and I'm like, I lead, there's an event at Snar- uh, called the Snarks in Grumpkin's Hunt at Ice and Fire Con, <laughs> which is where I get to be a Lord Commander and make people go take a photo scavenger hunt to complete prompts that I've written that are like silly <laughs> and ridiculous. Like I tell them to do their best Olena tell Cersei it was me look. <laughs> you know, like, go put something on your head and take a picture of it, basically. Uh, and uh, they bribe me. I accept bribes. So <laughs> it's like, flash forward four years, that's where I am. Like, this is the best community in the world. 
It's really wonderful. I know we were talking about this earlier, that it's sort of like a once you're in your family and everybody, I mean, of course, families do uh, argue sometimes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's always drama. Anywhere you have people, there's going to be drama. But the family drama is the best when it's Game of Thrones themed and spiced. So Yeah. And somehow in the fandom, people don't get murdered. It's just a little bit of sassiness. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) But when you're in, you really are you know your family it's really lovely and and supportive and wonderful it's an interesting look at just today's modern society right you think about in the 90s when your mom was like you can't be on the internet too long because i have a phone call coming in and now it's just we have all this technology and there's so many ways to connect with people that there weren't before and this is one of them yeah it's that don't talk to strangers on the internet thing but there's so many technical strangers on the internet that i love Oh, yeah. Including a bunch of people who are listening to this right now. (laughs) I mean, and this harkens back to, like, I remember probably late 90s, early 2000s, the Chamber of Secrets forums from MuggleNet. You know, like, I remember stuff like that. For me, it was wrestling. (laughs) Oh, yes. See, I never got into wrestling, but... Uh, my boyfriend actually had a hankering for it because, you know, there's so much storytelling and he's like, maybe I should get into it after Game of Thrones <laughs> is over. It's really great. That was my big first love. We're really learning a lot about each other right now. Um, yeah, I, I met a bunch of people who I'm still pals with on a Chris Jericho message board like many, many, many years ago uh, when message boards were still the yes. thing over chats. Was it a, a, um, a BB board or was it a... Do you know, do you remember what type of V bulletin? I don't remember. It was Chris Jericho's official message board, but I don't remember the format of it. I bet it, it was a, a V bulletin. It, I mean, it, it's <laughs> totally possible. We all kind of like formed our own crew after that and did a lot of, you know, like writing and, and kind of like storytelling yeah. things on our own. It was really, really fun. No, but I get it. Uh, Harry Potter role playing seventh grade. I love that. Neopets. <laughs> I'm upset that I think I was a little too old to like miss the I missed the bus on Neopets and <sighs> on Harry Potter I know uh so it was almost like my my big first nerd thing was of course wrestling like was obsessed with wrestling for so long I still go to like independent wrestling events here in Chicago and then it, it was a, a quiet dark period of my life and then <laughs> Game of Thrones <laughs> That's it. That's that's you. That's how you make you. Just spill it into a cauldron. Give it three stirs counterclockwise. <laughs> and then I'm there. At a at a dash of champagne and there she is. <laughs> so is this do you think um the Game of Thrones community, is it something that made sense to you? The fact that you were so drawn to it and drawn to this not to put words in your mouth, but for me as well, this sort of like obsessive sort of community fan base of of having a familial connection to these people who are also in love with the thing that you're in love with. Yeah, I see it as a total transitional thing. Because I mean, uh, Harry Potter was like, when I was a kid, that was my thing. I grew up and I loved Doctor Who. That was my, your wrestling was my Doctor Who. Mm. I was in a Doctor Who sketch improv group for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you live in Chicago, so you've seen weirder. I <laughs> 100%. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we went around to conventions and we did like Doctor Who episodes as a sketch, basically. But it, a lot of it was improv. Like we had scenarios we all knew were going to happen. Like this alien is attacking at the con. This doctor and his companions enter. 
blah, blah, blah. And then we went off that and just bantered basically for like an hour, hour and a half. And we did that for years, like five years at conventions around the Midwest and the East Coast. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was a blast. But it feels like Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire were like a very natural progression from Doctor Who and the drama of that and the conventions and all that. It, It just felt really natural and maybe a more adult move like, I went from my early 20s and late teens from that to, you know, mid-20s and later 20s. Now I'm kind of settled down and I'm an old crone with my little reading glasses on and, <laughs> but you know, matronly at my computer typing a, a meta essay about why Sandor Clegane uh, deserves better. Ugh, always. Always. What was it about Game of Thrones, do you think, specifically that drew you in so intensely? I guess it's the way, I mean, not only... So, like, a lot of people give the show crap. You and I have talked about this a lot. And I have been one of those people. Yes, extensively. (laughs) I have been one of those people. I'm not saying I'm not. And, you know, if you're going to critique something fairly, critique it fairly. Absolutely. We should always critique the media that we're consuming because we're paying to consume it. It's silly Mm -hmm. to think that you're not allowed to have opinions about it. Um, It's one thing to shove an opinion down someone's throat, obviously. But it's another that, you know, this is how you feel. It's, of course, valid. But at the same time, I think it's just so unfair because, of course, it's an adaptation. Harry Potter was good as a movie from the book, but it wasn't the books, and the show could never be the books. However, George has written these, like, extremely complex and rich characters that, I don't know, they feel, a lot of them feel real. They're, there's parts of us in every single one of these characters and parts of these characters in us. You know, you you might hate a character because then you realize, oh... That's my worst crappy parts coming out in that character. Or you might love a character because it represents something you think is a strong trait in yourself. Uh, But the thing is, is that so many people were ensnared by this show. Whether you hated this season or that season or this moment or you denounce the show. You're in this community and you were drawn to this community more than likely because of the show. There's a small percentage of us that were around in the very beginning in the 90s, obviously, uh, to read these books. And Mm -hmm. I think that's very powerful i think the complexity of the story and the characters and how even translated to screen watered down it is so just grabbing just so alluring to all these humans that's insane something with that kind of power is like witchcraft it's magic i agree completely and on that note who's the character that is your favorite on the show or who do you identify with the most I guess uh, Sansa Stark definitely is my fave. Uh, mm-hmm. The show could have done better with her, but not in the end. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the Queen of the North. <laughs> oh God! So I knew all the leaks for that night, like mm-hmm. in the morning. They all came out that morning, except Ugh. for that one. That was the <gasps> oh only. Oh my God! Leak. So that episode, like, there were leaks out six months in advance that were actually true about it. That like nobody believed because. When you look at the finale of this entire series, in a nutshell, you're like, no way, that's not the finale, but it it makes (laughs) sense. And as a book reader, I'm like, I can't wait to see this play out. I want to see how a lot of it happens. Like, cool. Okay, sure. Well, (laughs) I didn't know that leak. That's the only leak I had not read. Nobody knew that leak. So that whole entire Uh. montage, the only thing that came out of that was like the John and Arya bits and the Sons of it never did. And the fact that the last words uttered in the show <laughs> uttered in the entire series were the queen in the, the north. queen in the north that was powerful and moving especially for just uh, 
her whole story, her whole plot, seeing this young woman go from, you know, just this young girl that was sheltered, right? Sheltered in Winterfell with all her siblings and grew up with all these ideals about songs and nights and stories who went through hell to be with her family, which that's bittersweet as hell is seeing her pulled from her family, fought and bled for the North in front of the Iron Throne. And she ends up the queen in the end. That's just chef kiss. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You're going to make me cry. Good. Less than 20 minutes. It's like my superpower. That's my superpower. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. It's true. It's absolutely true. I, I, um, as I feel like most people know, I'm a big spoiler phobe. So I, if there was a leak, I totally shut it down and oh, didn't look at messages. Like I loved going into it with fresh eyes and being constantly surprised. And so I was just such a mess at sense of being the queen of the north i had my hands smacked over my mouth i was like (laughs) hyperventilating i was i told you earlier off air but i was in a room with a bunch of nerds in new york and they were all like this one kid was talking and he was like ruining the episode after Daenerys Uh. met her end he was just like fuck this show and I was like can you stop and then Sansa happened and like the whole time I was like shushing this guy and then as soon as Sansa happened it was me with my hand over her mouth just over her (laughs) (laughs) I was just like screaming and I was like yeah yeah and everyone was just staring at me and I was like I know I bitched at all of you for like an hour and 15 (laughs) minutes but this is my moment okay (laughs) So I had a birthday party slash small viewing party for the finale and my mom came into town and sweet angel sister of mine, Paula Fairfield, and a whole bunch of friends and it was really, really nice, but I was like weeping to the point where people were like checking Like, you know, people would, like, give me a squeeze every now and then and and it, it would just see, like, we were at a place where there was a projector and I would see like faces just turn in the dark to like look and smile at me and I was a mess I, I think emotional. that it was it was so emotional and I feel like I know that I mean I tweeted a, a nice tweet about Jon Snow smiling yesterday and I've been getting a bit of shit about it more support but it, it was this thing of like I, I didn't expect the end to be as satisfying as it was it, was. it wasn't what I expected, but it was what I think I needed. I mean, the reality of it is that George has been telling us it was going to be bittersweet for a very long time as readers. Yes. He said it in interviews in Time Magazine, even. You know, it's it's nothing mm-hmm. new. Um, I think a lot of people maybe just, you know, you, you live with all this time between books and between the seasons. Obviously, we had a little bit of time between this last season. And you build up this ideal in your head, right? But yeah, life's not a song, obviously, one of the biggest themes in this whole series. And I think the end is good. I think there was definitely a few points in that final season that things could have been expanded on. You know, uh, Bran's kingship, I think, really does make sense if you look at it from afar. Did they mm-hmm. nail it? Did they execute it? Maybe not. But a lot of that's internal. It's stuff that we have to see from Bran's point of view. We have to see a lot of visions and a lot of training montages it's stuff they just weren't set up to do in the show. Yeah, and things that would be difficult and would have taken a lot more time. And I think that the assumption that it was rushed 
because Dan and David wanted to move on, I think is frustrating to me sometimes because Mm -hmm. I think about the fact that a lot of the characters that we see and love signed on to this show when they were children. Yeah, exactly. It's been so long. They have families now. These people want to get married. They want to have lives. Let them move on. Uh, Right. I'm like, what do you want to do? Chain them to the show? Um, Yeah. It's been 10 years. I think of what I was 10 years ago, and I think – People have taken this escapism is fantasy kind of stuff a little far. It is a wonderful fantasy epic story, and I love it more than anyone I know, you know? I mean, in real, real life, not on the internet, the people I see every day at work, none of them care like I do about this stupid show. But, right, like, (laughs) but at the same time, it's like, okay, ground yourself, suspension of disbelief here, it is a show, it's been 10 years, these are real people, and what were you doing? 10 years ago. No, that's horrifying to think about. I mean, in a really positive way, like 10 years of growth, who you were 10 years ago, who you are now, those are the same people, of course, intrinsically, but at the same time, so different. And so it's, I don't know, I'm really thankful that we, in a way, very thankful that we didn't get another season, another two or three seasons to kind of flesh out what we wanted because I want these actors to be able to move on. And the end to me was satisfying enough that I didn't need more. Yeah. I would have been grateful for maybe one season total, seven and eight together as a Mm -hmm. 10-episode season. I think that's what I would have really liked to see. Uh, I think they could have done it, but I understand the idea of doing the blockbuster quality. I mean, the deal is, it's Hollywood. What do you expect? This is the biggest show in the history yeah. of TV. I mean, this is... What show is bigger than Game of Thrones? Nothing. This exactly. is it. So far. I What comes... It's a, a real Dario thing, right? Like, yeah. what comes after Game of Thrones? Well, that's the thing. Is like, you have Amazon's Hobbit show or whatever, Lord of the Rings show happening. Whatever they're making it now i don't keep up because it's like if it ever happens someday like they're saying it's going to will mm-hmm. it really be that much bigger than game of thrones i'm so curious i don't know 10 years from now what's it gonna look like looking back at game of thrones that's what i want to know i'm also really curious to ask the Tyrion question of ask me in 10 years <laughs> i thought that was a really great there were a lot of really great meta <laughs> moments in that episode honestly look it hurt i'm half a bottle of champagne in <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and honestly the 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 most painful bit from season eight is always going to be john asking if he did the right thing or not it's gonna haunt me for the rest of my life but the ask me in 10 years question is real of like what I mean the show has meant so much to so many of us it's it's wild to think of like will something else come even close to this yeah I don't think so I know you're not as uh into Harry Potter obviously like you said you missed out on that but there's this moment of course in the last book and the uh the last movie where Harry's mom, Lily, and Professor Snape, Severus Snape, in a flashback when their kids are talking about Hogwarts, and she asks him about magic. She's like, is it real? And he's like, it's real for us. And that's how it feels. It was real for us. You can hate the last season and hate the ending and hate this and hate that, but in the end, in 10 years, what are you going to really look back on Game of Thrones and think? Yeah. I think a lot about, too, the fact that I mean, if you want to dislike something, you're going to find reasons to dislike it. 
And I know that you and I have specifically talked about how much grief came into play with this last episode, mm-hmm. or this last season, I should say, mm-hmm. um, and, and people being upset about it for that reason, which I understand. It's, I mean, this has been a, a big aspect of a lot of our lives. It's changed a lot of our lives and in yeah. weird ways that we likely wouldn't have expected. Absolutely. I 700%, 3,000% if you want to start it. <laughs> A different Stark. Uh, agree with that. I mean, I met my partner through Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't be here if that show didn't happen. I wouldn't be on this podcast if that show didn't happen. How is it that you two met? Well, <laughs> so the second year I went to Ice and FireCon, the first year was 2016. The second year was 2017. I, uh, a couple weeks, well, we'll back it up. In February of 2017, <laughs> I followed a boy on the internet who wrote essays about a song of ice and fire. He was very popular. And then we tweeted with each other on Twitter. <laughs> Except when I say that, I tweeted at him three times. He tweeted back once. <laughs> he never responded to my tweets other than the one time. And he never liked my tweets and never followed back. And I got annoyed and I unfollowed the guy because I was like, what a pompous dick. I was like, just what a jerk, right? Like, he's so self-absorbed. Why won't he respond to me? I'm funny. Like, that's how I felt. <laughs> so fast forward, and he becomes a guest at Ice and FireCon that year. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, like, I can't finish, I'm going to puke. <laughs> so he becomes a guest at Ice and FireCon, and he follows me two weeks before, because we're both in Ice and FireCon chats on Twitter, and people are getting tagged. And uh, during, I guess, the convention, there was a panel, and he, I was on it, and it was about the Stark siblings. And he asked me a question. He asked me how Arya was going to get to Westeros when the books happened again. Oh. And I responded, probably on a boat. <laughs> he, he has since told me that was the moment that he had to have me. Um, I did not know it was him. I didn't know who he was. I had seen, like, one picture of the guy. I had no clue who he was. I had no intention of being courted by this male. And we ended up meeting during a set that the Manals played. They did a concert that year. We ended up uh-huh. meeting, which is very special to me because I love the animals, and I'm good buddies with the lead singer Haley Bowery, who's on a podcast called Drinking Game of Thrones Brooklyn. Check it out; mm-hmm. it's really fun. They're they're fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they did a Game of Thrones finale party, and we had three huge like jungle juices that were all named after poisons from Game of Thrones. It was wonderful. Oh boy, it love it. Yeah, I'll send you pics later. It was great. But they were playing. We met, and later on, he showed up at a room party that I was at. And he came with us all when we moved the party to some cabins at Ice and FireCon. And we started talking about Ashara Dane at one point, who's a character from the books, who is my favorite character mm-hmm. of all time. And we hit it off. And from there, it was history. That was it. That's amazing. Yeah. So Game of Thrones is very important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the idea that you would go to an event and meet your partner and now you live together and have wonderful weird cats yeah it's like so insane and lovely i to know me. and it's crazy we were long distance for about a year or so and then we moved in together and now we're like real humans functioning for almost a year together and it's uh all because a song of ice and fire you know it's beautiful the real song of ice and fire were the friends we made along the way <laughs> It is exciting that you two are together, but also we're together now, so it's perfect. Yeah, he'll get over it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the thing, is like all these brilliant connections that are forged between like all these humans, just, you know, one conversation about a character that you and someone else mutually love or hate 
can make or break this amazing close friendship where you just, you know, start messaging each other about anything in the world and become real good friends. That's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy that, like, like I said, in the 90s, this isn't how you met people. You know, you had a weird shy smile with someone at a freaking library or a gas station and you meet someone. Or, you know, it's not how people would meet. You don't meet because you love a fantasy book series. That's not something that was normal until, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, but it's it's beautiful. It is. It is. <laughs> I mean, to put it very simply, it just boils it all down. But it is. It's it's really beautiful. Yeah. So you love Sansa Stark, but in the beginning, you hated her. Yeah. Where did that change? I didn't under... Well, so I watched the show first. And of course... <sighs> The show obviously paints a different picture and a more dramatic picture and also aged a lot of these kids up, as we know. Uh, Sansa was aged up to age 13. In the book, she's 11. I couldn't differentiate between the two, right? I mean, I watched the show first. All I saw in season one, well, season one, was this bratty teenager, right? And I just didn't understand her arc. I didn't get it. But then when I read the books, it started to really lengthen it. It started to make me understand that, like, I mean, this girl was basically told and when she was growing up, oh, yes, the songs are real. Princes are real. Like, oh, if you're a good girl, someday you'll marry a king. You know, that, that that's what they were taught. That's what little girls are taught. That's what we're told. We're told, be pretty and act nice and things will work out for you. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the second book or the second season and she's being beat in front of this Iron Throne. She goes from being an 11-year-old girl in the books that just wants to, like, thinks the prince is cute and that he likes her and oh my god someone likes me and something is happening outside of Winterfell where I've lived my whole life and never been allowed to leave and turns out the world just isn't that good you know all that glitters isn't gold and she learns all these horrible lessons but they make her stronger in the end and she learns how to survive and she learns she starts to learn about politics and how to hold her own and in the end she gets her family back and she even gets to be in her ancestral home as a queen that's that's as beautiful the queen. the queen in the north <laughs> it's, it's it's just a beautiful character development it's amazing to see her go from just this bratty preteen girl who doesn't understand how the world works to you know owning it absolutely i know that Lindsay and i talked to a little bit about this on the last episode mm-hmm. but there's I, I feel that there's a sort of inherent shame in us as women loving Sansa because of her as a teenage girl where she had these like rich, sweet fantasies about just being the wife of a prince and and having these babies and being a lady and, and or being the queen mm-hmm. um, that, you know, we, we idolize Arya because of her um, because of her power in a physical way. But. Sansa is the one who she has this mental power that she's earned through three years and the two of them wouldn't have survived in the other person's you know uh shoes so it's it's odd to think about how how much we we sort of demonize Sansa in a way yeah and I don't really love what the show did in season seven obviously with that Winterfell plot a lot of the scenes Mm -hmm. they ended up cutting really could have added some credence to it and they could have just handled it a little more deftly I think because I think that reunion with them is bittersweet and it is you know that kind of like what have you been doing this whole time like where have you been well i suffered and they have to get back to basics they have to get back to stark basics right it's been so Mm -hmm. long of course siblings fight that's what siblings do uh 
you grow up so close to someone with such a different personality. What do you think's going to happen? But I think that the end of that season obviously worked out well. And I loved their relationship in season eight. I think that was beautiful. I loved the scene where Arya gave her the dagger and said, stick him with the pointy end. I love the end of season seven when they tell each other, you know, I couldn't have survived what you went through. And they really come to appreciate that other side of the coin that they can plead each other. And it, 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 that's why it's so bittersweet to me. The biggest bittersweet thing about the finale is that Sansa has fought so hard to be with her family, right? She's fought so hard, tooth and nail and claw, to get back to Winterfell, to to be back to the Godswood. She's fought so hard just to get back to the North. And then she loses her family off in different directions because Arya can't live in this world with everything that she's witnessed, with all of the murder and violence. She needs to be free. Uh, John... John didn't belong there ever in Winterfell. He knew that. He felt that. There's this line, uh, there's there's several passages that dictate that, but all he thinks about are just these nightmares he has of the crypts and the kings of winter telling him, you know, go away, you don't belong here. So he's north where he can be free, and Sansa's home, and all of her siblings are gone. I will say, I've never said this <laughs> publicly. I will say my biggest critique of season eight of Game of Thrones is the fact that when ugh, when Rob is declared king in the north, Kat is there looking on proudly mm, and no one's yet there. nervously of him. And when John is crowned king in the north, Sansa is there looking on proudly yet nervously, and they give the exact same face, mm -hmm. yet in the finale when Sansa is crowned queen in the north, there's no one there to be looking on. And I feel like it should have been Arya. Like I w but I understand how it doesn't work mm -hmm. with the way the episode was laid out, and the finale, like the last six minutes that we got, I think are like chef's kiss perfect they really fuck me up i haven't rewatched the episode since it happened but i've rewatched those six minutes yeah. and wept more than i could count but i wish that someone had been there and to look on to sansa although at the same time she's she's on her own and she's doing great and uh you cannot convince me that that Arya and John don't come and visit her from time to time and that they don't have like a family reunion. If you think John doesn't come home for Thanksgiving, you're stupid. Like I know. But also, okay, here are my big complaints. One, why did he leave Ghost with Torment? I get it because the the true north scene, obviously, but what about Sansa who lost her wolf? She's right there. First off. Yeah. Second off, yeah, that killed me. The no goodbye scene for her and Arya besides that moment at the end there. Uh, that hurt. I was like, really? You're not going to show a Stark goodbye in full where she, you know, hugs Arya and has a moment? I think we'll get that in the books for sure. That's a that's an important mm -hmm. scene. You know, that bond is an important bond. And something that did really feel good, though, and resonated was, you know, when Jon said they have Ned Stark's daughter, because that's who Sansa is. I love that Sansa has embodied all of her mother's political shrewdness the calculating, you know, that colder side of that, and she's really embodied that. But at the same time, she has always been Ned Stark's daughter who faced things, you know, with her heart. She spoke up for things that were wrong. She spoke up against, you know, Dantos, for example, being drowned by a cask of wine. She mm -hmm. spoke up against that. She stood up in the face of things like that when she had nothing to gain and she had everything more to lose. I mean, what was going to happen to her? She'd get beat more? But she's good Queen Sansa, right? Yep. Like you were, you said that. I was like, oh, that's, 
absolutely true. Like she yeah. is good Queen Sansa and she did suffer this sort of I've I've realized I've talked about this uh, many times before on the internet uh, but I've recognized that my favorite characters in Game of Thrones have experienced childhood trauma and Sansa really did yet she grew up in this sort of very privileged way she still experienced a great deal of childhood trauma and and she overcame it and it, it's beautiful but really difficult to watch yeah it's uh, the the show is very difficult to watch and i'm glad they kept it as it is because the book is so much so much more graphic you know they just say that it happened constantly and that it, this wasn't the first time and that each member of the king's guard except for sandor Clegane, had beat her he was the only one who didn't uh and it, it was just like such a very sad realization that this was her life like if she spoke in the wrong way joffrey would just have her beat yeah, and that's a great segue into a character we both like, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> Wait, who? <laughs> a man whose image I have on my living room wall that I see every day of my life. Bragger. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, you maybe also have him. That's true. I in do, your I life do. that you see every day of your life. Sandor Clegane. Ugh. Sandor Clegane. Best of dogs. Man, he what, what a character can we just say? He, truly, what what I'm so curious because I know that I mean I love Sandor so deeply and truly. He is maybe my third favorite character in the series. <laughs> I love him so much, and we've never talked about our mutual love of him and oh why. God. Why? <laughs> I'm so excited to hear why you love him so much. Man, I love him for so many reasons. I've written about him <laughs> far too much at length. I would love to read to you. One of my friends has a friend that's a child psychologist. And Ooh. she had messaged me and told me something interesting about what her friend said about people that love Sandra Clegane and why we care about him. And basically she told one of my Sandra Clegane loving friends like, oh, I know why you love Sandra Clegane. She's like, what do you mean? And she says that when you were a child you had a disability or something that you couldn't control just like sandor mm -hmm. had a deformity he couldn't help and children who have something like that they see the world different differently they become super perceptive to the world around them and they grow up really isolated and angry especially at adults that kind of were there to see the situation who did nothing and mm -hmm. that when you're a kid with those kind of issues, you need to be hyper aware of your surroundings because you never knew when your disability might interfere with your life. Like Sandor probably had to be very aware of his surroundings to who was around him and how they'd react. And that it's likely you lived your childhood believing you scared people like adults and you resent that and you internalize it as you grow up and that you never learn to deal with it. Just like Sandor never came to terms with all of that. He never dealt with it because he's known it his whole life and he can't remember a time that he wasn't affected by his brother shoving his face into the coals and his dad and every adult that he trusted to protect him supporting his brother against him. And so is that what drew you to Sandor? Yeah, that fucked initially? me up, dude. Absolutely. That's That's it right there. Like, that's... That's the thing. Sandor Clegane was, he grew up just like Sansa Stark. He grew up with the stories of knights and songs and he loved knights and he played with his brother who ended up being a knight. Rhaegar Targaryen is who knighted Gregor Clegane. 
Let that Bullshit. sink in for a second, everyone. Bullshit. Rhaegar Targaryen knighted the man who slew his wife and ch- child. Like, that's... It's fucked up. It's a little fucked up. Yes. And <laughs> that guy, though, Gregor Clegane, Sandor's brother, like, Sandor's brother shoved his face into the coals. Gregor Clegane shoved Sandor's face against the coals because he played with his knight toy. Yeah, there are a few quotes in the show. I will. Oof. Nope. I'm there. I'm. <laughs> I was gonna say I will start crying. I was like, nope. It's already happening. Um, there are a few quotes in the show that every time I hear them really get me, and one of them is, "I didn't steal it. I was just playing with it." Yeah. Every time I was just playing every with time, it. and like that kind <laughs> of trauma. I feel like the show used his trauma but didn't know where to go with it if that makes sense but in a way i kind of understand it because i don't think that he knew where to go with it either yeah absolutely and i think again that goes with a lot of that whole like missing that first person point of view and the thoughts about him you get so much exposition about sandor through sansa and through Arya throughout the books that it's like you know him you know it's like you know him but in the books uh one of the passages that is just so telling is when he quote-unquote dies with Arya Uh, Mm -hmm. he has this whole passage and it's very similar to the show when he's basically begging her to kill him and trying to he's trying to instigate it right like he's saying things for her to piss her off he's like I banged your sister like I killed your best friend like kill me just kill me and she won't do it it's that gift of mercy that he craves and he wants and she won't give it to him I have so many deep, gentle feelings about Sandor. And and I know in the last episode, Lindsay and I talked about this because we talked so much about Sansa. And from the moment that Sandor stopped her from pushing Joffrey off the battlements and and comforted her in his own way, like I, I felt endeared to Sandor. Um, because I knew that something, I mean, we don't know at that point in the show what, what his deal was and, and who he was and, and what his history is. But, but I feel like there's a lot that, that was taken from that. And he was so oddly gentle with the Stark girls. I always consider Sandor, uh, like a, an honorary Stark in a lot of ways. Um, well, even in the books, his appearance is Stark-like. He has... Stop, really? Yeah, he has dark gray eyes, and he has dark hair, <laughs> um, and his strong nose. I mean, he's very Stark-like in his looks. And you do know about his sister, right? What happened to his sister? No, this is, this is shit that I don't know oh, about. You invited the so right person. go ahead and I'm spoil me. I'm so excited. Yeah, so in the <laughs> I'm going to keep crying. You hear very briefly in a Ned chapter that there's some sort of weird mystery about a sister who died young and that it was probably likely Gregor that killed their sister in some sort of rage. So when Sandor looks at Sansa and Arya, he sees his sister. He wants to protect them. When he sees Sansa being beaten in front of the Iron Throne, all he thinks about is his sister dying and he wants to protect her. Fuck you, Chloe. Love you, Sam. (laughs) Thanks, I'll be here all day. I wasn't ready for this. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yep, yep. Welcome to my world. Fuck. <laughs> Told you. I've <laughs> I've always considered it as Sandor 
like analyzing or, or thinking about or feeling drawn to it because of his own experience. I hadn't, I'd never considered that they had maybe had a sister. Yep. They had I a sister. It. The mom also <laughs> died. I'm guessing after the sister was born and before the sister died, the mom would have died from what kind of the timeline suggests. I've actually put together mm-hmm. a Clegane timeline before. I'll share it with you sometime. Oh, uh, please. <laughs> uh, yeah. So basically though, the dad, vouched for all of it that's what the worst thing is that not only did the sister die and everyone knew something shady happened even ned knew something shady happened and he doesn't care about the Cleganes. he just knows they're big and mean but Mm -hmm. ned knew even i mean that's that's rough that's a high lord knowing about some small ass lord in the westerlands you know and so sandor's mom would have died somewhere between 272 to 277 AC. And then uh-huh. Sandor's sister could have died anywhere from after he was born. He was born in 270, 271 AC. So she could have died anywhere up to like 282. But he got burnt when he was, oh, you know, probably about seven, eight years old. Gregor put his face in the fire when he was seven, eight years old. And then literally two years later, Gregor gets knighted. God, it's insane to think about. Yeah. So when was the first moment that you realized you loved Sandor? What was it that happened? Oh, God, probably him with Sansa in any of the moments. Uh, first read through. I loved Sandor from the start. I I guess maybe that's why I was blinded to him and Sansa's like friendship and all that. But like I loved him so much. I I was very blinded by it. I I guess like him stopping her from pushing Joffrey off. And him at the Blackwater in the books was amazing. And him in the show at the Blackwater and his trauma. I just, I really connected with him right away. He was probably the first character I actually connected with in the story, even on the first read. And obviously you don't have to talk about this if it's something that makes you uncomfortable, but was childhood trauma something that you experienced as well? Because I know that I experienced trauma when I was very young and I feel drawn to Sandor and other characters that experienced trauma when they were young as a result of that. Oh, absolutely. I uh, I have a couple of autoimmune diseases that I've kind of had like my whole life and I really suffered from them. Probably the worst, well, I'd say the worst as far as like t- tolerating pain and uh, being sick is when I was a kid, I got diagnosed with that and I had a really bad flare up and I have just a handful of different things wrong with me. You know, you shake the dice mm-hmm. and you pull out some straws and that's what I got. But I have some really just weird autoimmune stuff. And I think I really connected with that. You know, I remember what it was like as a kid. I remember it. I remember that feeling of isolation. I remember being mad at the world. I still remember it now. I can feel it now if I summon it. So, of course, that helped me connect with him. And I think something about Sandor is just how unfair the world is. I mean, he would be, had his face not been burnt, he would be a strong, sturdy guy who is very martially prowessed probably really good looking he'd be a great match politically in westeros i've seen and touched and talked to rory mccann in real okay, life okay i'm that gonna pretend true. you didn't say that so moving on <laughs> he's very handsome not to like kelly kapoor you but first of all how dare you <laughs> i'm so sorry no you're not stop lying i'm absolutely not i know <laughs> oh, that hurts no but that's that's incredibly true. I, I, I've thought about that before as well. Like, 
we, I mean, the fact that Gregor was knighted and Sandor wasn't is really frustrating to me because Sandor was so wonderful and I think at the end especially really fucking deserved it. Yeah. It's sad to me that he didn't get knighted. I, I had hoped that maybe he would be in my heart of hearts, even though I knew it would never happen, and I'm one of the people, if you recall, that was just like, we're never going to see a Sandor and Sansa moment again, because like, if I had said the truth to myself that maybe we would, what if I got my hopes up? They would have deleted the scene. Yeah. Like, they would have. How did you feel about that up. moment between them? <laughs> God, that scene was a lot. It was, uh, it was very emotional in season eight when they finally had that moment together and I loved it. I hated the premise of season five Sansa plot, obviously, because it was the worst. We all did. Yeah, everybody hated that. <laughs> Every single person that's been like season eight ruined my favorite character. I'm like, interesting. <laughs> First they came for Sansa Stark and you said nothing. <laughs> God. Whenever I've talked about it, like I know, I think I was talking to, again, sweet Paula Fairfield about this. Where I was like, we're all in agreement that season five is bad. And it's like, well, it's not that it's bad. It's that it hurts so much. And it's it's really like watching everyone we love really be just like fully trampled on. Yeah. So it's hard. It's not good, Sam. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. Like you could say it's not bad, but it's not good. Uh, there are a couple Thank you for moments. saying it for me. I know you can't. I know it's not in your cute little heart of hearts, but... <laughs> not the best season of a show but hey heroes had season two and game of thrones has season five okay and that's that that is what it is we'll just pretend the writers went on strike no it hurts yeah it's, it's not bad. good it's not good uh but yep. there are some moments in it like here's the deal it's like yes it sucks but at the same time i think the broad broad strokes are very big because i'm a book reader so i know that i after awaiting my long night there will be a dawn there will be a great mm -hmm. dawn for me, okay? There's no great dawn from that show, okay? <laughs> like, there's no, there's yeah. nothing coming to fix the show except if you read the books. So, for me, the broad strokes of that season were like, Dorne, probably not going to last long. Agreed. Same mm -hmm. in the books. Sansa, going to go home to Winterfell. We can pretend the middle didn't happen. And that scene with Sandor, that's kind of how I was. The language he used, I said, sure, show Sandor would say that. And this didn't really happen. So it's fine. Yeah. What he's saying is, I'm proud of you. And she's saying, I'm proud of you. And he's saying, you've changed. You've grown stronger. And she's saying, I know. And she's looking at him. And she's holding his hand. And she's saying, it's okay. You can let go. I will be okay <laughs> without your protection, Sandor. You can go do what you need to do. She was letting him go. That's what that scene was. And it was very beautiful. It was a... Uh, it was like a coming-of-age scene that summed up five seasons of no Sandor and Sansa content. And I was I was happy for the moment we had. I loved the way it was framed. It was framed very Beauty and the Beast romantically. Torment leans into him and says, Oh, I've lost the love of my life, Sandor. And Sandor stares at Sansa Stark. After shooing off the girl that's a camp follower that's bugging him, he stares and just looks at Sansa Stark and waits to talk to her. Absolutely. And there's no way that he wasn't proud of her. She's come so far and she's done so much. And there are so many small moments where major characters express the fact that they're proud of where Sansa is. I don't think you know many girls like her. Exactly. Oh, mic drop. Like, that was the best part of that season. When she said that to Jamie, I was like, mm, 
Ah, <laughs> uh, it's the best. Yeah. It's the best. Tell him, mommy, Brienne. There's also the, you know, the Tyrion moment of uh, you may survive us yet, you know. Lady There's Stark. so many. <laughs> I know. There's so many, like, small notes to the fact that she's so strong. But I feel like. I feel like Sandor knew that. Like he was he was the other father to the Stark girls that yep. we really needed after Ned's death and he protected them. And the fact that he and Brienne talked about this, right? The fact that ugh They're true knights. I know. They are legitimately true knights in a Game of Thrones. Brienne and Sandor, I have goosebumps literally all over my body, discuss the fact that they were both looking after the Stark girls and doing their best is is like, oh, it's it ends my feelings. <laughs> right? Like, I'm a mess just thinking about it. I love Sandor so much. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree, um, which is, of course, why I got my tattoo of him after the show ended. I waited until the show ended. Tell me more about it, because I know, but I want anybody who listens to this to know more. So... I waited until the show ended because I wanted to be sure that any tattoo I would get about Game of Thrones would be obviously worth it. It would be like a, you know, the character didn't all of a sudden pull a 180 and maybe burn down King's Landing. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to get Khaleesi tattooed across my tits, okay? Like, I didn't want, like, a chest piece like scene kids used to get, you know, on MySpace with, like, the the bitch and, like, the the writing, the fancy writing. I didn't want to have Khaleesi across my titties with that. So I'm really glad I didn't go for that. I was never attracted to it anyway. But. (laughs) Same. But, like, I love Sandor Clegane. I love him in the books. I love him in the show. Book him is better. I can't wait till you read him in the books because you're going to be like, wow, I loved Rory McCann and I do love him. But now reading Rory McCann, but in the books, better. It's better. (laughs) (laughs) So a big joke we have at Girls Gone Canon is that, you know, the books were based off of their original source material, Game of Thrones on HBO. (laughs) It's too bad they ran out of show, you know. What's George going to do now in adapting the show to books? I... Let him live. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I have Sandor Clegane tattooed on my leg. I have a banner. It's a House Clegane banner. It's got the three black dogs, and it has a yellow rippling banner across the tattoo that says, a quote from the books from Sandor Clegane, a Mm -hmm. hound will die for you, but never lie to you. When you got this tattoo, it was when I knew that I loved you. (laughs) It took that long? Oh, my God. No, I knew before then, but that was, that was really it. a moment of, like, yeah, because it, it's beautiful, it's eh? Uh, but it's also, I don't know. I think that, like, there are this group of us who really, really love Sandor and really love him for who he is and, oh, and yeah. have a lot of feelings about this. And it, it means a fucking lot. Yeah, it's... uh. It's just another character watching them, like, getting abused as a child and seeing where their story goes, seeing them grow and seeing them deal with the trauma that their childhood afforded them and then seeing where it takes them in. Clegane was, uh, I don't know, it was underwhelming for me. I knew it was going to happen no matter what. It's heading that way no matter what. Whether a book fan tries to argue with you, like, no, it's not going to happen. Sandor is not going to stay on the quiet aisle where he is right now. He's going to leave the quiet aisle the gods aren't done with him yet. It's obvious. He's always been an important character in George's story. He's been there since yeah. the first book as a prominent character, even as a supporting character. And I do think he has to put his brother to sleep. He has to put the dog to sleep. Uh, 
in the books, just like the show, Gregor is very much so Frankenstein's monster, right? Like more specifically yes. Kyburn's monster. He is a monster and he's not really Gregor anymore. He's this big dull zombie that can kill like Gregor's smash, but that's it. He doesn't have emotions. So for, for Sandor, it's the same thing as the show. It's it's empty. Clegane Bowl isn't going to be some big spectacle of like, oh, epicness. It's going to be sad and empty. This is Sandor having to kill the brother, his abuser, his tormentor. It's just like how Sansa felt when Joffrey died. In the book, Sansa thinks, you know, like, I think I'm upset. Like, why am I not happy? Shouldn't I be happy? Everyone's telling me I should be happy, but I'm not happy at all. I'm sad. I'm sad for this stupid boy king. And that's how Sandor is. He's a mess, you know? Like, I have to kill my brother. I have to put him down. He's a zombie now. He's not my brother. I think that's a thing that we don't talk about enough. The fact that when Sandor meets Gregor and says, like, you know, he's talking to him and saying, what is it? You're even uglier Mm -hmm. now. Now. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he acknowledges the fact that Gregor is different and he's sort of physically embodied the monster that he's always been internally. Yeah. And I don't know if... uh... This is something that you do know they cut that one scene of Sansa singing to Sandor in uh, the second season in the Blackwater because it was a little redundant. She sings with the ladies in Magor's Keep with Cersei. She uh, she goes and sings with the ladies and, you know, she gets their kind of that boost of morale for them in the sight of the war and sings the mother's hymn, Gentle Mother, Font of Mercy. But... Sandor comes to her room at the Battle of the Blackwater in the books, and they actually filmed it and just completely cut it because it was just too much. In the books, he holds a knife to her neck, and he's drunk as fuck, and he's out of his mind. He's just like, sing for me, you promised me a song, which is obviously like a sexual illusion. Uh, And she sings, she's scared as fuck, and she just starts singing the Mother's Hymn, and she sings to him a song of mercy. And that is what the Mother's Hymn is about. It's gentle mother, font of mercy, you know, teach our boys a better way. And she sings basically a song about a warrior finding a better way and being a better man and not choosing a horrible way, which is Sandor game. And later, Arya and Sandor go on the road and he protects her and he literally shows her on the road. Someone's dying on the road and he tells her, do you remember where the heart is? And he shows her, you know, this is how you kill a man. This is where you punch him in the heart with a sword to end him fast so it's not painful. And then he's dying on the side of the road. He begs her for mercy. So when Sandor finally gets to his brother in the very end, he's not killing his brother. He's giving him mercy. His brother has become a mad dog and Sandor is putting him out of his misery. I agree with that. I agree with that. And it it hurts. (laughs) UK? UK, buddy? No. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Definitely not okay. There are a lot of tears over here you honestly asked me to be here tonight so i'm feeling like (laughs) (laughs) i'm feeling so attacked right now (laughs) it's it is really difficult though because this is a character that we love so much and we've seen him go through a lot and he went through a lot of changes throughout the entire series of this show what was the first moment that you realized in the show that he was really drastically changing and becoming quote-unquote good 
I think it was great to see him in season six, seven with the uh, him on the fake island. You know, like the 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 throwback to his book plot. Um, I think that they did really well with his death, quote unquote, scene with Arya. It was pretty similar to the passage from the books. There were only a few changes to it, which were to shorten and make it more concise and kind of give it more punch. So I understand. Um, God, I don't, I don't know about a good path, but him with Arya was always better. Him on the road with Arya was Arya teaching him how to be a human and him teaching her and Sansa as well. I mean, Sansa, Sansa taught Sandor that, like, you know, she stood up to him. It's really brave for an 11, 13, whatever version you're watching, an 11 or 13 year old to just like stand up to this big, huge man and say, you're hateful. Why are you being so hateful? Like, I don't deserve this. You're hateful and you won't hurt me. Yeah, those are so big that she called this big, stupid man child out on his bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, though. frail, skinny little girl. It was just like, why are you a big meanie? I genuinely love when Sansa says, you won't hurt me. Um, let's not talk about it, because I will cry. It's fine. <laughs> let's talk about Just it. Just the way that she, Sophie played that. She's so talented. Such a talented young girl. And she just looks in his eyes and she says, you won't hurt me. And the whole, like, the thematic. So the best part about that is George wrote that. George wrote that episode. That's like, that episode is one of the best episodes of all time. Uh, George wrote that episode, and he wrote that version of the Blackwater, which to me just means a lot. That means that there's so much thought put into this, and that while there were changes, adaptive changes, George put in there what he thought was important. And I love the commentary track for that episode. If you listen to it ever on the DVD, it's Lena mm-hmm. Headey, Peter Dinklage, and Nikolai, Nickelodeon, Walmart, Costco. Um, they're all talking, and... Sansa says, you know, like, why are you here? And you just hear Lena Headey go, because he loves you, you stupid girl. And then Peter Dinklage is in the background humming. (laughs) It's so good. It's like the best scene ever. It's my favorite commentary track of anything I've ever heard. I haven't watched any of these. And I'm realizing now, like, what a giant life fail this is. Oh, no, that's a life suck. That's next for you. Good luck. Oh, I can't wait to cry. <laughs> Me every day. <laughs> yep, 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 literally. I wake up every morning and I'm like, wow, I can't wait to cry. Good. <laughs> yeah. I did. So before we uh, met up to talk about this, I watched oh, like an idiot uh, so a compilation Sandor video because I love him so Was much. Was it the warrior one? And- I love the warrior one. So it was the Zurich 23M YouTube. He does these really, really beautiful, like, Game of Thrones videos. He's made them for a while now. Yep, that's the one, uh, a real warrior. Exactly. Uh, He, oh, he, there was, like, a a John video that I've, like, cried to an absurd amount of times. But when I told you, so before Chloe and I started this phone call, I told her that I was weeping. And part of it was to this video, which is, it's, (laughs) it's, it's just really beautiful. That's really it. (laughs) He actually made a one recently that I really can't wait to get off this call and watch later. Uh, about Danny and it's called The Last Dragon and it's uh he he posted it with a quote from the books that Tyrion says about her 
She's a girl who walked into... Oh, wait, no, this is from the show. I'm just stupid. She's a girl who walked into a fire with three stones and walked out with three dragons. How could she not believe in destiny? And the thing that I was thinking of is, I mean, I have multiple Jon Snow tattoos because I am who I am. (laughs) And one of them... (laughs) One of them is my three-eyed ghost tattoo that says hard to kill. And Sandra at what point says, like, I'm a I'm a big tough fucker and I'm tough to kill. Yes. <laughs> and so they're they're like, I, I legitimately am such a stark stan as the Danny Sands have been angry at me all day about. But I, I legitimately think that he's he's a stark at heart despite the fact that he's sort of endured all of this trauma and really suffered um, and and kind of made the best of what he has as in, his, in his own way and has been father to our Stark girls, uh, he he's done a wonderful job. And I mean, I'm just putting it out there that in the books, you know, he's actually only 28. That is insane! <laughs> yep, just putting it out there. And on top of that, in the show, you know, Ned does have that moment where he tells Sansa, someday, when you're older, I'll make you a good match. Someone who's <laughs> gentle, brave, and kind. Get on your Sansa and say I'm just putting it out it. there that just, like, even Robert was like, get the girl a dog, she'll be happier for it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that this is literally <laughs> canon. Uh, R- Rory was the best choice for Sandor, for sure, for the show. But he definitely is a couple decades younger in the books and believe it or not Sansa does actually unfortunately have her sexual awakening about him yep I mean I get it (laughs) dude right like those thighs let's just two C's thick it's thick with like at least three or four C's I'm gonna say more than one at least three or four C's (laughs) yeah uh Sandy is a thick burnt boy for sure for sure. The only other quote that I had, it was uh, Tormund telling him uh, that essentially, like, you're not angry, you have sad eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, you weren't born this way, you have sad eyes. Like, there was something that happened that turned you into what you currently are, which I feel like was, it really embodied what Sandor's arc was kind of all together, right? Like, he put off this this entire thing that he was this angry terrible mean man but in reality he was exactly in reality he was sad where when people were angry about him um like his conversation with Sansa I understood it but at the same time knew that Sandor always wanted to keep people away like he always wanted uh to to keep people from getting too close and that wasn't possible with the Stark sisters yeah because when people get too close you get burnt yep and the saddest thing too is uh I don't know just that look they exchange and Sansa putting her hand on his that thumb swipe that will forever fucking ruin my life yep got it saved on my desktop (laughs) it's a gif um keep it for you know sad times but that thumb swipe and just the way that you know i don't know the way it ended was just it was nice it was the best closure that i could have asked for as far as their friendship and relationship went on the show and i mean george is very aware of what he's done with sansa and sandor he literally has art of sansa and sandor in his house by one of my really good friends actually john picaccio on the internet he's my buddy he makes amazing art he's done a ton of crap in the calendars and all that um 
his art is amazing, but he has a piece of artwork that is up in George's house, and he has been on all of those Song of Ice and Fire calendars, and it's Sansa and Sandor, and, like, George knows. He's literally said in interviews, like, oh, yeah, it seems there's something there. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> How weird. Uh, and then he, like, will ignore it, but to me, I mean, it's not like Jamie and Brienne. I don't think Sansa and Sandor would ever be consummated. It's purely going to stay platonic, and I think yeah. his demise in the books might even have more to do with Sansa in the North than it did in just the you know the South. His brother, I think maybe you know he might be fighting for her in the North and fighting for the North in general, and that him going south will have some sort of bigger you know she'll send him south or he'll go with Brienne and be sent south. You know, uh, yeah. I expect Sandor and Brienne both to be kind of her sworn shield-esque people for her and Arya and for them to send them south and for only one of them maybe to survive. I think of it a lot like counter-transference in the counseling career mm. where, I mean, we have a lot of feelings about the people that we're seeing and and with Sandor, I mean, he clearly has a lot of feelings about the Sark girls. Mm-hmm. And that is a great deal of why I love him so much. It's really overwhelming to think about. <laughs> it is. And he just wants to protect them. And I think that's what was so beautiful about his arc, that this angry man who's been hurt so much still has so much good left in him. And it's it's just like Beric and Thoros when they met up with him. It's just like what was said. And it's just like what Father Ray said. It's never too late to come back. It's never too late to come back. But even in the end of the show, his last moment with Arya was probably, Ugh. aside, Ugh. honestly, aside from the six minutes of the finale, which really fucked me up, mm-hmm. honestly, seeing the Starks prevail in a multitude of ways. The moment in season eight, ugh, okay, top three moments in season eight. Number one, the last six minutes of the show where my Starks have prevailed. Number two, Brienne being knighted. Overwhelming. Cannot discuss it without crying even more. But number three is honestly uh, Arya calling Sandor by his name. Yeah. And their, their goodbye moment. I'm so glad you understand that because I feel like a lot of people don't agree with that or get that and that like Sansa thinks of Sandor as Sandor Clegane in her thoughts. Uh, Arya saying Sandor to him. That moment. Yeah, even hearing it, it's... (laughs) Every single person has just called him a dog his whole life. and Anytime people still call him Hound or The Hound, I'm upset. (laughs) I correct people. They'll be like, The Hound, but I'll be like, you mean Sandor Clegane? Sandor. Only his friends call him Sandor. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> the bigger you know that even uh there was a moment where so my mom came into town to hang out and watch <laughs> oh no, the finale oh no moms and we like oh love her like a week she's listening to this so <laughs> love you mom like a w- <laughs> like a week or so later we were talking about something uh with the finale and my mom was like when Arya referred to him as Sandor. Oh my God. And I was like, you're my mom. <laughs> Your mom is literally promoted. She is now executive producer of Cry Wolf Podcast. But it's true. When 
I mean, he, he's always been Arya's other dad. Yeah. She's had this series of other dads, which, I mean, Miltos, you're all also <laughs> love. A, a, a pure angel. Well, and it's all their mentors, you know? It's like with Sansa. Sandor yes. was the only person that protected her that was good. She thinks on it, too. She thinks what's really interesting is in a, um, in a Storm of Swords and a Feast for Crows, she's very conflicted about Peter because she understands there's two sides to Peter Baelish. There's Littlefinger and there's Peter. And she thinks, yeah. you know, like, uh, when when the mob came for her in King's Landing, she thinks it was Sandor Clegane who lifted me up, not Peter. You know, uh. she thinks of all these thoughts of, like, how different people had helped her and she thinks at one point she's like she wondered what had become of Sandor Clegane and there's a there's a really sweet little dog in the eerie in the veil and she pets him and she goes oh you sad old hound oh yeah it's a uh, it's pretty rough then she has this dream you know where she like starts to dream and it's Tyrion and her in their wedding bed on the night of their wedding and then Tyrion turns into Sandor so anyways I digress oh yeah, god that's real that happens by the way <laughs> I didn't know. yeah the night that Liza Aaron gets dicked down by Peter. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's what Sansa's dreaming about. So, but whatever, you know, it's all platonic, and <laughs> no big deal, no big deal. I mean, it's platonic. <laughs> it's it, it's... <sighs> Sandor is just like this person. I mean, you have to understand, he, you know, he was at the sack of King's Landing, right, with Ares. Yeah, he joined the Lannisters, and you know why he joined the Lannisters, Sam? Tell me more. <laughs> You're gonna get sad. He joined the Lannisters because remember how his sister died. Uh-huh. And then Gregor had put his face in the fire. Uh-huh. And then Gregor killed their dad in a hunting accident. Uh-huh. Well, guess what that leaves? Gregor's the lord of Clegane Keep in the Westerlands. Which is so wild. And guess what that leaves for Sandor? Nothing. He's next. So he flees from Fang Tower and he joins the Lannisters, his liege lord in the Westerlands. The only opportunity he has... He joins the people that are offering him a job, and he's nothing but a machine. He becomes just a gun for hire, a man for slaughter. But that's all he has, because if he goes back, he's dead. Survive. That's what it is. Survive. In 283 AC, Sandor sacked King's Landing with everyone with the Lannisters because he had nothing left. And there's this huge passage, I'm sure you know of it, the Broken Man speech in A Feast Mm -hmm. for Crows. It's so good. I'm not going to give you all of it, but basically this whole passage has a character much like Septon Ray or Father Ray or whoever you want to call him from the show. Uh, Similar to that, a little more long form where basically he explains and it's Brienne and Podrick are on an island. They're on the Quiet Isles, which are pretty closely remotely located to the Vale, just putting that out there, uh, looking for Sansa Stark. They are searching for, and they don't say Sansa Stark. They tell this guy, we're looking for a maid of three and ten with auburn hair. And the guy, the monk elder brother guy, he just smiles a sad smile and he goes, ah, you're looking for Sansa Stark. How does a random ass monk know that Brienne of Tarth is looking for a 13-year-old redhead? How does he know that means Sansa right away? Okay, that's your first question. Right. He's talking to them. He starts telling them, oh, we have novices here and the novices aren't allowed to talk except for one day a week when they're allowed to confess their sins. That's the only time the new people are allowed to talk. They walk by and there's a guy who's digging a grave with his hood up who's petting a dog. Mm -hmm. Can't figure out who that is. Uh, So they keep going. 
Like, it's a total nod moment. You're like, ah, the very tall man with a hood up so you can't see his face <laughs> leans down and pets a doggo. Interesting. Maybe he's limping a little yeah. bit. So it's, weird. He is, too. That's exactly what happens. They literally, George literally writes that the guy is lame. So, look, I'm just along. really smart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what happens, man. So, Brienne goes along. Her and Podrick are walking with the guy and the the, the guy has a dog named Dog, and there's this huge meta conversation. Pod's like, oh, nice dog. I had a dog when I was a kid. And the, the brother's like, oh, was he a hero? And he's like, no, but he was a good dog. No. <laughs> and then the guy starts talking about war and how he was in the war and how, like, when you're a man in the war, like, you're just killing for some lord who gives you money and food. And then you get tossed to the winning side. And he's like, you want to work for me for money and food? And you're like, yes. And you get wine. And all you have are wine and woman and money for eating. And then you keep going and you fuck and you fight and you sleep and you fuck and you fight and you sleep. And suddenly it just gets numb and you just keep doing it. And then he keeps talking about how then suddenly, eventually, the man breaks in battle you know like it's over he can't keep killing yeah. men aren't machines men are men and you can't just kill for no bloody reason and eventually you break and it's this whole story of basically sandor of how sandor broke in battle and it's just so beautiful and so sad and it's just a, it, it encompasses all these characters in the books who have been especially men i mean george does a really good job of writing these characters out these male characters that you know, not only are they soldiers or people that have been in battle or evil villains even or evil wizards even, but like they have a backstory. They have a reason they're like this. And he explains that reason. And for Sandor, there's more than just chapters worth of reason. I mean, you get it. When you read this speech, this broken man passage about how men in war break, everything about Sandor just falls into place. And I think it's a really important passage that they really paraphrase in the show. And it was great. But you needed it all. You really needed it all to truly understand Sandor's character. If you want every person in, in this stupid world to get him, that's what you needed. Right there. Well, it's interesting for me being a show-only person, which I know I've told you feels almost like an advantage yes. after the show is now oh, ended. Sure. Because I, I don't have anything to compare it to, so I just have the show. Um, but I, I understand that and I absolutely fucking agree. Like I, I have so many feelings about Sandor and about what he's endured and how that has changed and how he's, you know, altered those beliefs and those feelings <laughs> to now do the thing that is the greater good, right? Um, oh, I don't know. It's overwhelming. I'm having a lot of feelings about it. He, uh, he was a good dog. He wasn't a hero, but he was a good dog. I do think that he was a hero, though. I do, too. He saved Arya, who killed the Night King. You know, like, it, I do it... love that, because so Arya <laughs> this season had such an interesting arc. I don't, I feel yes. like if you took out any of her big moments this season, she'd have nothing to do, right? Like, if you didn't have her in the bells, well, what did Arya do this season besides bang, bang Gendry, right? Like, okay, good, good, good. So they had to give her real stuff. Which admittedly is enough. She did a very good job. I'm not trying to shit on her. She did a great job. Arya, you're doing great. Keep banging him out. But what I'm saying is, like, I get they had to hand her some stuff this season, you know, to do. But there's a really interesting deleted scene, or a deleted line, I should say, of a scene with Beric and her. I don't know if you uh, heard about this, but... 
Beric Dondarrion and her have like one final line together and he looks at her and he looks her in the eye as he dies and he says live oh stop so Arya in the bells when she's just like covered in sediment and she's like concussed right like she's just been beaten the head and She's just trying to survive during the bells, during the the sack of King's Landing part two, electric boogaloo. Uh, she, <laughs> she gets up and she keeps going. So when she sees that white horse and she gets on it, people were making fun of it. But that's what that is. When Beric told her to live and to go on and live and bring life, her choosing that horse was her choosing life over death. That yeah. was her finally. When she went to the House of Black and White, she chose death. She chose revenge. When she killed the phrase, she chose revenge and death. Her choosing that white horse is her choosing to live and choosing the right side of the coin. And when she goes with Sandor and she wants to kill Cersei for all of Cersei's atrocities, and the Red Keep is just coming down, there's no reason for her to go kill Cersei because Cersei has killed Cersei. Mm. You know, like everyone thought she would. Only Cersei destroys Cersei. Sandor looks at her and he's like, I need you to live. Like, don't become like me. Oh, you're fucking me up right good. now. Good. Um, good. Uh, it's all going to plan. <laughs> you're like, job well done. Sam is crying a lot. You're doing a great job. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you. I I love Arya. I mean, I'm a Stark bitch. Oh, yeah, her. absolutely. Like, that is who Wolf I am. Bitch. I, I am a Stark, but I've, I've always... Um, I've always understood Sansa more than Arya, uh, I think because of the sort of mental gymnastics versus the physical ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but that finale, oh, just having Arya choose, having Arya choose life and and, and talk to Sandor about, like, having, I, I know, like, you and I both love Sandor. Yes, of course. Oh, I love Ned. And Ned was, of course, number one dad. But tied with number one dad for me was Sandor in in really teaching Arya what what was most important. Well, no, that's a thing because Ned and Sandor both made similar mistakes, right? For Ned, his honor was what he chose over everything and protecting the children. He saved Sansa. He saved Arya by doing what he did. You know, they would have died otherwise had he not... Um, he did exactly what he did to save them, to save John, to save the realm. He kept everything secret for so long. But there are many flaws in that. We see characters like Catelyn affected by that, right? Had he just told mm-hmm. Catelyn, think of what a different character she could have been. Think of what they could have done to better. I mean, communication really saves relationships, you guys. I'm just putting that out there. Um, <laughs> talk to your partner today. Ned was blinded by his promise to Lyanna. He knew that above all, he had promised to honor her to honor what she had requested of him and to honor her memory and to honor her son, his nephew. And Sandor knew one thing. They both had one mission and that was Ned's and Sandor's mission was just somehow survive and somehow kill his brother and get him back for that. And it's not a strong character arc, right? Like you don't think like, but what got him there is that in the end, yes, it's never too late to come back, but at the same time, sometimes there's unfinished business, and for Sandor, that's all he had left. He was never going to be with Sansa, you know, in the end, as much as any fangirls that I know of could like. <laughs> but I've always admitted that. He never was going to be with Sansa. He could never be with Sansa. It wouldn't happen. It would have been great to have him as, like, a sworn shield paramour. That's another fan fiction. But 
it never was going to happen, and he didn't really have a place anymore. There wasn't a place for him. All there was was him stopping his brother from committing more atrocities. But when he gets there, it's not even his brother anymore. Yeah, I think that that's the real bittersweet moment with that is is he finally gets the time to square off with his brother, and his brother isn't even his brother. He's There's no resolution some to other this. thing. Yeah, but I still I, I'm so curious too, like how you felt about Sandor's end because I I love that character so mm. deeply, and I felt good about the way that it ended. I feel okay. I mean, it's more or less about how it's going to go. I felt underwhelmed. Seeing him just, like, dive bomb off a rail into a big pool of fire with his brother, like, I get it. Absolutely. Like, yes, that is likely what will happen, that he and his brother will both die in a big field of some sort of fire. But it just, it was underwhelming. I thought the cinematics, the dragon flying overhead and the fire in the sky was awesome. And of course, you can't not love Cersei's little, okay, good luck, bye. Walking around you. Okay, well, good luck with Family Feud. I hope you win, Sandior. Stairs, 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 going down to meet my brother and have some, you know, last second shenanigans. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was all right. It was just underwhelming. I felt whelmed. It wasn't even that I felt underwhelmed. I was just whelmed. Where for a series finale with some of these huge players, I just wanted to be overwhelmed. I'd be like, wow, this is happening. And that was a moment that I was like, okay, next. Mm. You know, five and six were good. I like to uh, watch both of them kind of side by side because I think that's great. I think the pacing of the whole season is weird. And I think that's why we all have so many issues with it. I think uh, every episode, it's like you start a new episode with these long episodes and the characters feel like new people. It's a lot of development in an hour and a half that you're like, now I just accept that this is now Daenerys. Now I just accept that this is now what John's doing. Okay, I guess. I think that's fair. It's confusing, I think. I think it's confusing to people because they're like, this isn't what I watch. Mm-hmm. I I feel more accepting of it than I think a lot of our peers do. Oh, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is, like, this is where they're going. It's obvious. And, w- look, people are pissed about Daenerys. And I think it could have been a little more deftly handled in a few moments. But besides, <laughs> like, you know, her staring out of a window and going, I can't believe I didn't get my shape tape concealer in time for this fucking siege of King's Landing. You know, like... Uh, some of that is a little crazy like okay maybe you shouldn't have just shown her like that without a little extra exposition i think a lot of it harkens back to a great book plots like Ares the second you know her father uh the defiance of duskendale when he truly loses his mind i really feel like there are some things they could have added in there to add some context but at the same time this is something we all knew could happen like yeah. We all knew Danny could take this dark route. It's totally an option. Yeah. It's been an option from the start. We've seen her burn people. Doesn't matter if they're good or bad. They're still burning people. And it's very interesting because I know some very anti-Danny people that have always tweeted like, ooh, she's crazy and she's going to fuck everything up and do this. And I'm like, damn, I didn't know y'all were that close though. Like, I love Danny, but I also appreciate this darkness in her and this Targaryen bit of her that's like ready to seize fire and blood. And even in the books... Quaith, who we only see for a moment in the show, they kind of uh, retconned that one. I guess it didn't work out. <laughs> she, in the books, has this scene where she's just like, Danny is 
dehydrated and she's like shitting and puking in the Dothraki Sea in her very last chapter. Oh, yeah, I've heard about it. Of Dragons. And <laughs> in the stars, Quaith appears to her and is like, remember who you are, Daenerys, like the dragons do. Do you? Oh, God. It's there. It's definitely there. And people are really pissed because they're like, this isn't going to happen in the books. And I'm like, it is. It's going to happen, you guys. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, George literally wrote the end. There are interviews upon interviews of him saying, the end's going to be similar to my end. It's going to be the same for the broad strokes for the main characters. John and Danny are the main characters. Spoiler alert. For me, the most confusing bit is people who think that this isn't George's ending. This is it, bro. It really is. And it when you really think about it, it makes sense. And I understand being upset oh, yeah. about it when you um when you really like feel a connection with a character and think that Oh yeah. And I feel that way about John. Like the <laughs> one of my best friends works on the show and months and months and months ago, after she had seen it, all I asked was, Am I going to regret getting this person's face tattooed on me? Because I knew that like the potential to have a character's face tattooed on me and have them do a total yes. flip and do something terrible. And she didn't even say, like, yeah, that doesn't happen. She was like, do what feels good. <laughs> like, follow your heart. It's you got to do what you got to do. And I was like, yeah, I'm getting this naked Jon Snow tattoo. But <laughs> <laughs> That's why I waited. Just in case. Just in case. Because <laughs> you never know what's going to happen with these characters. But the fact that some people don't believe that this is George's ending is is it's like there's a river is it the Reuner no it's not the Reuner oh it's denial (laughs) (laughs) wrong river my bad I just I I hate to be so salty because like a lot of this stuff I didn't see it coming either but that doesn't mean it's not true (laughs) you know like no it's all these people are sitting there going like it's not true because I didn't see it coming oh and that's not enough. No, I mean, it's, it's ugh, I understand not being happy with the way that something you've been watching for so yeah, long ends. Yeah. But. but it's not a bad <sighs> ending. It's a uh, maybe the pacing's weird. It could be a little slower. You know, we could have had another <laughs> few episodes of development, but that's about it. I mean, there's nothing you could really ask for more than that. And I think the bigger thing is that like a lot of people view George as this huge progressive, right? Like super liberal, left wing, like progressive, whatever. But, and I love him to death and I think they are great books, but these books were plotted out in the nineties. It's a different time. 30 years ago, 20 years. You don't have like in the eighties and nineties, this whole me too movement. You don't have like all this stuff. This whole reminder of this isn't in these books. When he wrote this series and he decided Danny and John were going to have a thing and John's going to kill him, her. Uh, it, it was the 90s, man. It's different now. You can't just, yes, you can't just fridge women in the 2000 teens with like what they did with Sande, but that that wasn't a thing in the 90s. Uh, I think that the themes and how George writes it will definitely add more exposition to the story. And I think a lot of people will change their position on the ending of the story once they read how George does it, because he will have more time, more pages. And I mean, Mm -hmm. it's his story. Of course, he's going to tell it better. But what did you expect? Like, you knew what you were going into. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that it's 
really fucking wild. I don't know. A lot of people, like, it's just, like, broken record. It's starting to be like, yep, I know you're mad, dude. I'm mad, too, about some things, but it's not our story. So maybe you could write your own story instead. Well, I've seen, I mean, like, my sweet, sweet angel pal Grant wrote uh, a bit of a fanfic about the end of John's story. Which, like, do it. Write fanfic. Try to work this out the best that you can and and make it make sense in a way that makes you feel better. Like, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It's just... (laughs) write your own story then if you didn't like it i don't know what else to tell you man watch a different show there's so many shows you can get netflix for like ten dollars a month now and you can get a lot of shows with different stories and i don't know uh, i get investing all this time i mean i know people that were like oh i've invested so much time in this if this is truly the ending like when leaks come out they're like if this is really the ending i feel like i've wasted my life and it's like okay well that was on you buddy which is so insane it's true. Yeah, yeah that like that doesn't make any sense to me because this is like a piece of media that we get to like watch and indulge and it really yeah. helps us i mean at least for me like it's helped me take a look at different aspects of my life and think about how I could make them healthier. Like it is legitimately done a great job of that. But the fact that this would be a, Oh, woof. <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny. And it, to be fair, just like we knew Daenerys could go this way. We knew that the reaction would go this way. Of course, there's going to be people unhappy. I mean, it's traumatic. It's lost finale. You know, it's all this drama of people choosing sides of how they felt and, like we were saying earlier in the podcast together, in 10 years, what is this going to mean? Honestly, I'm, I'm so curious to hear what the reaction to Game of Thrones is going to be like in 10 years. I know that you and I have talked about this personally outside <laughs> of the, the record. In say- <laughs> off the record. In saying that, I legitimately think that down the line, this season is going to be viewed more positively than it is now so close I really think that it's going to be better because it's really good it's a beautiful season mm-hmm. um, and I think it ends the way that it should end I don't feel yeah there were a lot of strings that weren't completely tied up and that's fine I don't expect that to happen in the books even because I think George is going to run out of time and run out of energy uh, there's a lot of stuff that he's gardening yeah. and he just won't have time to trim it and that's unfortunately how stories go that's how TV adaptations go and I think in the end it was satisfying it was bittersweet and some things were predictable and other things were not Yeah, and that's a show, that's a series that's an era, that's an era <laughs> it's a decade 10 years, I mean that's a third of my life yeah which is insane to think about i mean there are i have friends that know me as the person who loves game of thrones and i do and to think of this as the actors who are part of the show that's a third of their life in an even bigger way yeah these kids even these kids the start kids uh some of the other young actors they grew up on this show and let them have a life that's all let it go it's time it's time you know we can always watch again we can always go back we can start back to season one and we can start back with book one 
and there'll be a new book eventually and we're all going to be fine. And I think that's what's important. I think people are just blown out of proportion about it because it is scary. It's like a big, like, that was my thing. And now what? And I think that's where a lot of people are sitting. And I think some people are taking that out on that. I agree with you. But Game of Thrones also isn't a personality. So keep that in mind. No, it's a television show. <laughs> but a lot of people don't know that. So we have to remind them, Sam. Oh, I know. Man, we've been talking about Sandor Clegane for so long. But I feel like I could talk about Sandor for another three hours. 13 hours. What? It's <laughs> how weird. Um, it's true. I, f- I feel like uh, there have been people who have like walked into my apartment and seen that I have a portrait of him on my living room wall <laughs> and feel kind of confused about it. But there are so many things about Sandor's arc that I find uh, like, oh, just the most moving. Oh, man. Yeah, it's yeah, I love him so much. I know, and that's one of many, many things that has made me drawn to you. Oh, honey. Oh, Hex. <laughs> so really, at the end of this, we can say... Uh, that the real friends were the Sandor Clegane we made along the way. <laughs> we're all tough fuckers, like big tough fuckers oh. that are hard to kill. <laughs> God. <laughs> Chloe, thank you so 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 much for being on the podcast we've gotten off track we've wandered it's been so much fun and it has meant (laughs) so much to me to be able to have this conversation with you i adore the fuck out of you well thank you so much for inviting me because i am so happy you're having this this is like such a great podcast (laughs) you're just it's a really cool outlet to appreciate friends in the community who do things or don't do things or just have opinions and it was a fun time chatting with you. I was so happy to be on, and I can't wait to see what else you do with this. Ah, uh, that makes me so happy. I mean, you have been uh, a bit of a rock for me in the community, <laughs> especially in this last season where people haven't enjoyed it. Now, you know that you have, and it's been a, a little bit of a safe space. It's been really, really lovely. I hope you know how much I appreciate you and really love everything that you say. On the internet. Oh my god. Well, don't tell people I like it that much. Oh my god. Thanks for outing me. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tough shit. Now you have to really come to terms with the fact that you like Uh, season eight on the internet, which is really uncool. So fuck you. I guess contrary and for the point of contrarianism. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I love you so much, Chloe. You're the best. I want to thank Chloe one million times over for joining me. It was legitimately maybe too much fun. (laughs) If you want to follow good Queen Chloe on the internet, which you should, you can find her on Twitter at Lies and Arbor. Or you should absolutely listen to her podcast, Girls Gone Canon. I will be getting to it as soon as I read the books. It's going to be the first thing that I do. You can also find me on the internet at kinda cool sometimes on Instagram, kinda underscore cool on Twitter, and you can tweet the podcast at CrywolfPod. I'll be there to answer any questions you have, but I may be a little busy this week since it's Con of Thrones, and I'll be busy bothering all of you likely. <laughs> I want to thank everyone who reached out about the last episode. I was overwhelmed by the response, and I still kind of am. 
It means so much to me that so many of you enjoyed listening. Thank you so, so much. Until next time, remember, the lone wolf dies. So open a bottle of champagne with one of your friends on the internet and maybe yell for a bit about a character you love. Maybe this week in Nashville. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Bye.